0: Here it is!
1: From deep inside your audio device of
0: choice. I'm undergoing self-isolation.
2: It's the only way to be. Just for the lack of stimulation.
0: So come self-isolate with me.
1: Somebody's home. I think somebody's home. This is Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of the show. As uh, the evidence on both sides seems to increase, we got to keep it closed. We got to open it up. Me, I'm uh, I'm sitting here waiting, waiting for the train to come. Now some uh, news from the land of fifteen thousand princes are freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. uh, Last week, this broadcast shared with you the news that Saudi Arabia's sovereign wealth fund, and oh, to have a sovereign wealth fund of one's own, uh, was investing in Live Nation, the uh, semi-monopolistic venue owner and uh, festival promoter and uh, event promoter and, you know, ticket seller, and whatever other part of the music business you'd like. And a bit of the reaction to that, Hollywood Reporter this week said nobody on Twitter cast um, a disdainful eye at that, except for Judd Apatow, Apatow, Apatow. Anyway, the reporter uh, goes on to report, which I guess feels is within the uh, bailiwick of its name, that Hollywood's anti-Saudi sentiment appears to be waning. In October, movie stars, that's last October, movie stars publicly returned to Riyadh for the first time since the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Jason Monroe, Jackie Chan, and Shah Rukh Khan spoke at Saudi Arabia's Joy Entertainment Forum. A couple people you may be even more familiar with, Spike Lee and Oliver Stone, signed on for the inaugural Red Sea Film Festival wasn't uh, actually held, postponed from its March 12th date due to uh, the thing. Uh, The Sundance documentary, The Dissident, which chronicles Khashoggi's murder, hasn't found a distributor. Isn't that nutty? It uh, drew supporters such as Hillary Clinton and Alec Baldwin at uh, its premiere at Sundance. I missed it there. Some of the bigger buyers have passed even though it was a blockbuster year for documentaries at the festival, and the film generated uh, strong reviews. The director, Dan Fogel, said uh, uh, following a screening of the film in February at uh, a talent agency in Los Angeles, the major global distributors are scared of this film, unquote. As the pandemic wreaks havoc on the Hollywood economy, Many companies would rather take a PR hit than lose their financial footing or go under altogether. Here, Here's that uh, moment. There was scant blowback on Twitter over the Live Nation investment. Judd Apatow was the only notable industry figure to express disdain on Twitter. No, I did it right here on the radio or on your audio device of choice. But, added the reporter, then He removed the tweet. Everybody likes money. And now...
0: I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said.
1: And yet not enough said. Crawling along the world's river bottoms, the larvae of the caddis fly... To protect themselves from predators, gather up sand grains and other sediment and paste them all together with silk, forming a cone that holds their worm-like bodies. As they mature and elongate, they continuously add stuff to the uh, home, which is their home until they turn into an an adult. If the caddisfly larva somehow loses its case, it's got to start from scratch. Now... It faces microplastics. Last year, researchers in Germany published research finding microplastics in the cases of caddisflies in the wild. Then last month, they published the troubling results of lab experiments that found the more microplastic particles a caddisfly larva incorporates into its case, the weaker that structure becomes. Well, maybe that's the problem with the Hard Rock Hotel in New Orleans. That could open up caddisflies to greater predation, sending ripple effects through river ecosystems. Well, rivers are used to ripples. You may wonder why one insect species matters. This is from Wired.com. Caddisflies are critical actors in river ecosystems. Their struggles could well have consequences. Caddisfly larvae hoover up Aquatic vegetation keeping a river from getting overgrown. As flying adults, they serve as a critical food source for bats, frogs, and spiders. Researchers have been massively ramping up their work to understand how ingested microplastic particles might affect the physiology and behavior of animals. Relatively little, though, has been done to determine how those particles might affect the structures that insects, like caddisflies, as well as your bees and your termites, build. Termites. Those are termites that really pester you. Microplastic contamination has been identified in Antarctic sea ice for the first time, published in the journal Marine Pollution Bulletin. And that's really the appropriate place for it, don't you think? The new study analyzed an ice core collected in East Antarctica 11 years ago and identified 96 microplastic particles from 14 different types of polymer Pollution was documented by an Institute for Marine and Antarctic Studies research team. The lead authors said plastic pollution has previously been recorded in Antarctic surface waters and sediments, as well as Arctic sea ice. This is the first time plastic has been found down uh, underneath, down under. Forming from seawater, around 80% of Antarctic sea ice melts and reforms every year providing seasonal opportunities for microplastics on the sea surface to become trapped in the ice. Well, at least microplastics are getting opportunities. The ice core, uh, the leader of the research said, the ice core we analyzed was from coastal land-fast sea ice, averaged almost 12 particles of microplastic per liter, or 45 per gallon. That's lower than found in some Arctic sea ice samples. The 14 different polymer types, only slightly less than the 17 found up near the North Pole. These were larger than those found in the Arctic, which may indicate local sources for the pollution because the plastic has less time to break down into smaller fibers. The local sources could include clothing and equipment used by tourists and researchers, but some were from varnish and plastics commonly used in the fishing industry. Rather than sinking to the deep ocean, the entrapment of microplastics in Antarctic sea ice allows them to persist for longer near the sea surface, making them more available for consumption by marine organisms such as your krill. That's a keystone species in southern ocean ecosystems. Whales love it. Whales love their krill. But so do other creatures on the ladder up to the uh, Keystone predators. Oysters and other economically valuable shellfish filter their food from their water. And during that process, they may also inadvertently capture microplastics. The ingestion and accumulation of these microplastics can have detrimental effects on their health and may be passed to other animals, including your humans, through the food chain. This is from uh, Science Daily. Not Carson, but Science in a recent interdisciplinary study, University of Washington researchers used advanced methodologies. Well, what a good idea that is. Don't use the um, other ones. To accurately identify and catalog microplastics in Pacific oysters from the Salish Sea, they discovered that the abundance of tiny microplastic contaminants in these oysters is much lower than previously thought findings were published in the journal Science of the Total Environment. They're thinking big. Quote, until now, not a lot of chemical analysis has been done on microplastics and oysters, says a co-author, Samantha Fan. The microplastics that chemists have looked at in previous studies are slightly bigger and easy, easy to visually recognize. But with oysters, she says, the microplastics are much smaller. In their study, the team sampled wild Pacific oysters harvested from Washington State Parks, The oyster tissue is dissolved using standard methods. You know, why why reinvent the wheel? And the remaining solution is passed through a filter. Observation of filters is the method researchers have typically used, so if we'd stopped there, we would have thought all the oysters had microplastics because small particles were present in most of the filters, said the lead author. But when Fan, the co-author, further analyzed those filters with three advanced chemical ad- identification techniques, they realized most of what was left in the filters was not actually plastic. We have to use multiple techniques. Not every technique will give you the full picture, said Fan. When you put all those pictures together, you can have a more complete understanding of these particles. Many of the particles the team said as a result of their analysis, were, in fact, shell fragments, minerals, salts, and even fibers from the testing filters themselves. In the end, they found that only about 2% of the particles distilled from the oysters could be confirmed as plastics. But, of course, access to the equipment, elevated costs, and extremely time-consuming nature of the using a combination of instruments technique are limiting factors for widespread use. So we'll we'll just do it the easy way. And the cheap way. The level of microplastics on the seafloor, on the other hand, is at its highest level ever. Up to 1.9 million pieces, covering just one square meter per square... About 177,000 per square foot. Researchers said, according to CNN, they were shocked by the volume of microplastics found on the seafloor bed. Well, you've got to put your bed on the floor. No, I'm sorry about that. Very. When it comes to moving home, hermit crabs are experts often swapping shells for the optimal abode. Now researchers have found that exposures to microplastics disrupts this key behavior, according to the Guardian. The findings of the latest suggest such pollution could be having an impact on the world's marine creatures. Usually a normal, so-called normal hermit crab will always want to go for the better shell, says the co-author of the research. Such cells or shells are normally those of sea snails. Well, what are they supposed to do? The striking thing in this study was when we offered them a better shell. Lots of the crabs that had been exposed to microplastics didn't make the optimal decision to take it. The uh, colleagues placed twenty-nine female well hermit crabs in a tank containing seawater, seaweed, and polyethylene beads at a concentration akin to the levels found in the environment. Now they're bunch of her- female hermits were placed in another tank without the uh, without the beads. Oh, well, it's not carnival time anyway. Writing in the journal Biology Letters, the team report they kept each group in the tanks for five days. They removed each crab from a shell and gave it a new one. These shells were about half the ideal weight for each crab. After two hours in their new shell, each crab was then put into a deep dish of seawater, and the team presented it with another shell, this one of an ideal weight. Uh, Twenty-five of the crabs who had not been exposed to the microplastics explored explored the optimal-sized shells, 21 of them, taking up residence. By contrast, crabs that had been exposed to the microplastics took longer to start exploring, and far fewer did so, and only nine moved home. This suggests exposure to microplastics affects realist... No. The shell selection behavior of hermit crabs... Indicating that pollution could be affecting cognition.
0: You think? Really? You? Yeah.
1: One, just one word: microplastics. And now news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol III. And he is a certified gym. A senior international Olympics official, John Coates, said this weekend that the delayed Tokyo Olympics could end up being the greatest games ever. Coates is uh, Australia's Olympic chief, and he's also head of... Here's an outfit I bet you didn't know existed the International Olympic Committee's inspectorate for the games. It's a true inspectorate. So I guess he's an inspector. He cited the examples of positive summer games that followed the two world wars of the 20th century. (laughs) No, no, this is the good news. The Tokyo Games were postponed, as you know, for a year to uh, 2021 because of the thing. Coates said he thought Tokyo could surpass even the reputation of the, twi- of the 2000 Sydney Games, which he helped organize, and were described by then IOC Chief Juan Antonio Samaranch as, quote, the best Olympic Games ever, unquote. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I don't have the best memory in the world, but I don't have the worst, and it's my distinct recollection that Samaranch described every Olympics that he presided over in sequence as the best Olympics ever. That's just, that's me interpolating here. Pardon, pardon the interpolation. Quote, because we must wait longer than the already long wait for an Olympics, the Games of Tokyo will gently but perceptibly echo the sheer joy and relief of the other delayed Olympics of Antwerp in 1920 and London in 1948, Coates told the meeting of the Australian Olympic Committee. He continued, I believe the Tokyo Olympics may ultimately be amongst the greatest games ever, if not the greatest. I certainly hope Tokyo will be. Turning to future opportunity, Coates told the meeting, which was an online meeting, a virtual meeting, that the proposal for Australia to host the Summer Olympics for the third time in 2032 is gathering pace. The bid is uh, centered around Brisbane. You've heard of it. Had been given the official backing of the Australian committee. Beginning of the year, he said, is now in the phase of, quote, continuous dialogue with the IOC's future host commission. Yeah, there's one of those, too. Planning for venues mostly already existing or temporary, and the siting of athletes' villages were progressing, and the necessary buy-in of local state national governments was largely in place. All right, taxpayer money assured. Coates did run a failed bid to host the games in Brisbane, in 1992, said the Olympics could provide an economic catalyst to help Queensland and all of Australia out of the expected post-coronavirus recession. So this would be the taxpayers helping to uh, pull the country out of a recession by giving money directly to uh, businesses and workers? No, by funneling it through the Olympics. "Quote: I've always believed in making necessity a virtue. There's already need for jobs and growth in the Queensland economy," he told his online audience. "Why not? The Olympics? Well, of course, it's a movement, and we all need one every day." Now let's check up on our our friends, the Let Us Try people, the United States Army Corps of Engineers. The city of Des Moines, following up on a story we shared with you last week about the Corps screwing up the rebuilding of a levee on uh, one side of Des Moines after the Corps found that uh, under-seepage had occurred. So unlike the Corps-built levee, let's say, in New Orleans, where that never... oh, it did... The city of Des Moines is now fighting a bill from the Corps because, of course, as mentioned here last week, when the Corps decides to fix that levy, 35% of the payment for that work will have to come from the city. Could run from $1 to $4.2 million. A levy that cost $8 million to build now faces a repair bill of 3 to $12 million. We should not be on the hook for their mistakes, said the city's public works director. We're seeking legislation to not require the city to pay a share. The court admits that the problem wasn't the city's fault, but they blame current federal regulations requiring the city to pay 35% of the cost of any repairs. Gee, regulations can't be changed, can they? I don't think so. We better follow the dollar. And this is uh, an interesting look at the world of digital advertising. You may be aware that, um, of course, digital advertising has uh, taken over from advertising in silly old analog places like print. And the race to the digital world was because it promised transparency and uh, uh, just a, a better sense of how efficiently the money is being spent. By the advertiser to target, and I said target you, the potential buyer. Well, here's a study of the British online advertising market conducted by the accounting firm PricewaterhouseCooper. It found that the publishers, these would be the people who actually have the media, your New York Times, your Wired, get just half of what the advertisers are spending. The other half is being siphoned off by ad supply chain intermediaries. This really is, if this economy is going to come back, ladies and gentlemen, it's the intermediaries that are going to do it. Because they make so much of the money. About 15% of the total spent, or a third of the fees, cannot be accounted for at all. It's going to the British tech journal, The Register. The study was conducted at the behest of the Incorporated Society of British Advertisers, an attempt to understand the British ad market and its supply chain. The um, main kind of advertising in question is called programmatic, dominated by Google and Facebook. It's the automated buying and selling of ads, all kinds, as opposed to deals negotiated directly between ad sales teams and publishers. These are Weird little auctions that... Little that Facebook and Google run. About 82% of the online display advertising in the United States was programmatic last year measured, which is 2018. The total digital ad market worldwide, $333 billion last year. A substantial portion of that goes to ad fraud. $42 billion last year by research of Juniper Research. Or... Uh, according to another researcher, White Ops. So, a lot of uncertainty in the ecosystem. The known costs in the uh, ad payment pie. Ad agency fees, 7%. Fees used by advertisers to buy ads. Demand-side platform fees, 8%. Technology fees on the demand side, 10%. Supply-side platform fees used by publishers to sell ad space, 8%. Technology fees on the supply side, 1%. Publishers receive just 51% on the dollar. Understanding, underscoring sorry, the long-standing complaints of the inability of news publishers to sustain themselves through online ad, ad revenue. Well, if you want to find out what's going on in the world, read the uh, intermediaries. Advertising remains the primary source of revenue for most news publishers... Although even before the pandemic, news publishers earned a small fraction of the money spent advertising online with the lion's share going to Facebook and Google, says uh, VP of the News Media Alliance. On the bright side, 51 percent represents an improvement for some. A couple of years ago, the chief revenue officer of The Guardian said in some cases only 30 percent of every pound spent for ads in The Guardian reached The Guardian. The Guardian needs a Guardian. While this information isn't news to folks who have been auditing and scrutinizing digital ad spend, meaning spending, uh, for years, it will finally be received by advertisers from one of the world's leading advertiser associations, said a researcher. Getting transparency on where the money goes in ad tech is not a new issue, but one that will continue to get better as more buyers ask hard questions. Yeah, the asking of hard questions always increases. The unknown 50% represents the accounting firm, PricewaterhouseCoopers trying to reconcile ad impressions across the supply chain. Impressions are if it's if it's shown to you, that's an impression. Or if it sounds like Brad Pitt, that's no that's another kind of impression. It makes perfect sense that dollars for paid one auctions were not able to be reconciled for ads that never got delivered, said the researcher. Digital ad budgets commonly leak through. That means ads are served to bot-driven browsers about 15% of the time. Ads are served outside the advertiser-specified context 5% of the time. That would be like, I want this only to go to males under 40, and it goes to females over 40. That would be that. Ads purchased but never served 15%. And ads served that are not viewable 25%. It's a good It's a good business, isn't it? The firm contends only 40% of digital ad spending goes toward ads that fit the requested targeting and have potential value to the advertiser. Yes, pity the poor advertiser. And follow the dollar. This is the show, and I was uh, thinking about the last story. Contemplating it just a little bit. What that means is, you know, yeah, the advertisers are getting screwed, but you and me, you and me, Buster, who um, have our attention interrupted by um, ads that sometimes yell at us if they're on autoplay or just diddle around at the corners of our visual perception for nothing because they're aimed at the wrong person or they're run by bots or whatever. So, and oh, by the way, and all the digital information that's gleaned about us from uh, your Facebook and your Google so that the ads can be better targeted, you know, to make them more relevant to you and your, your advertising experience, that and all of the civil liberties implications that seem so fraught. All for naught. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I, I raised this question on Twitter this week, just, um, I guess, to be a bit provocative. I'm a kind of a provocateur, you know. And uh, nobody bit, so I'm going to raise it here. Let's see, see what happens. See if uh, Judd Apatow responds with disdain. The experience we've been going through since late March has been identified by a lot of people as the closing down of the American economy. It really hasn't been that. It's been the closing down of half the American economy. If that wasn't true, people wouldn't be so worried about how to pay their bills. The bill sending half of the economy hasn't shut down at all. Only the bill paying half has. Why didn't we shut down the whole thing? Oh, leave leave the banks open enough to pay for the online uh, to, to handle the the payments logistics of the online purchases but otherwise landlords, banks, mortgage holders stop. If, if that had happened, the plight that so many people in this country are in, where they're feeling like, well, they for safety's sake they have to stay home but to pay these bills they have to go to work regardless of the security or safety of it. That wouldn't be happening. Anyway, now to <laughs> the, pre- the President of the United States uh, had a an interesting week. He announced the uh, dismantling of the Coronavirus Task Force followed within days by the reconfiguration and restoration. It's a restoration period of the coronavirus task force. Between those two events, two people who work in the White House complex, a presidential valet and the press secretary to Vice President Mike Pence, were found to have tested positive for coronavirus.
0: And so, this week, for the first time, is the ship of state equipped with enough lifeboats? And the question for the businessman turned chief executive is, are they all for him? Mike, yes sir, Uh, once more, I'd I'd just like to reiterate yet again, what an honor it is. Mike, Mike, you know me, I don't need constant praise, right? Oh, absolutely, sir. I don't know of anyone who needs it less than you. The very lack of that need is, if I may say so, sir, one of your towering strengths. Hey, when you're right, you're right. (laughs) So, look, while we're dishing out the praise... Yes, sir. ...you've done an incredible job with the Pandemic Task Force. Terrific. Believe me. I don't know half of what you've done, but so many people tell me it's terrific. Well, thank you, sir. When I think about the thousands... Maybe hundreds of lives we've saved. Which is why it's time to say, hey, task force, job well done, take the rest of the year off. Right? <laughs> well, that hadn't occurred to me y- yet, sir, with the uh, daily fatalities still not quite at the uh, starting line of the going down phase. A bad economy can kill people, too, I can tell you that. Yes, sir. Just to take an example at, uh, you know, random. Mm-hmm. You don't think any of my friends have coronaries from the thought that that there are people in this building that want to keep everything closed until freaking Labor Day? I I, I do think that indeed, sir. And I think that our our task force can serve a very important role. In in stepping aside and making way for Jared's Make the Economy Great Again task force. That was your gist, right? (laughs) Well, of course, sir. Although I knew Jared had a role to play in all this... You didn't know he was above the title, right? I See, my... (laughs) The worst thing for your task force is to stick around to the point where there's nothing left for it to do. Mm -hmm. It's like Mark Burnett told me when they finally killed the Celebrity Apprentice franchise. You want to go out while people still want more of you. Otherwise, it can get very sad. I mean, like really sad. So, your task for this week... Well, I would imagine it would involve letting the members know starting. turning to roll up the office, liaison with folks at the state level, to... Your task is to not say anything about this. You know, we'll do a press release. I think uh, late Friday night is taken with new Inspector General firings, mm-hmm. but some late night this week, and you just... Go about my business as if uh, nothing has happened. Oh, I guess in this case, the task would be to not go about my business, but do it as if nothing has happened. Mike, mm-hmm. I can tell you this. I wish I had a hundred of you. I'd still probably fire at least a couple, but I'd have so many to spare. Yes, sir. I wish I could think of new ways to tell him what a great job I think he's doing, but thank goodness he doesn't need to hear that. But still, I probably should.
1: Jared. Yes, sir. Still trying to get Alabama to open up early. Otherwise, the whole Deep South forget that-
0: the Deep whatever. You're the big organizer around here, right? <laughs> well, I don't like to blow my own show. Far many but- people tell me you're the guy who knows where all the multiple sockets are. Okay, uh, what's the problem? Twitter loading slowly. Screw Twitter. What's with all the sicko suddenly showing up at the White House? First it's that valet kid whose name I can never remember. Now it's that flack who married Stephen Miller. Well, I can tell you this, sir. Somebody's not using nearly enough disinfectant
1: on the banisters. But everybody on my task force has turned on a dime
0: to figure out... First fa- of all, first of all, figure out this. You're in tight with all the Jewish. I, why would a guy in Stephen's position marry someone else's PR person? You know, I could have set him up with any Fox anchor he liked. And they're clean. Nobody on Fox gets the virus. Ever wonder why? They, they are incredibly clean, sir. I mean, Judge Janine, she looks like you could eat off her. Not you, I mean, but... Clearly, sir, we need to go into a new protocol comprised of a radically increased degree of attention to complying with the Fauci guidelines inside the compound. You need something else in that so-called protocol. Hmm? Strong, I mean, like, super strong assurance that nobody gets the big mouth about all this. Really? I think people would probably feel reassured that we're doubling down on... On the thing that they're scared of, that we're trying to convince them that it's okay to go out and ignore, right? Look, Jared, yeah. I'm thinking, maybe we need the COVID task force after all. Well, there was
1: lots of blowback on the cancellation, but I didn't think we paid attention to that crap. Does the
0: virus have to bite Melania before I pay attention to that crap? <laughs> that guy was touching my burgers for Pete's sake. Mm-hmm. Plus... Nothing says we're serious about safety like having a task force, right? That's why I was there to begin with after we started playing catch-up. I mean, I couldn't even enjoy my month of acquittal before. So are are you telling me my task this week is to restart the COVID task force? Listen, my friend. Mm -hmm. If I was 30 years younger, I'd give you a fat lip for bumping uglies with Ivanka. (laughs) But yeah, you call Mike. You know, he views me as a rival. Best reason for you to make the call. Getting good news from a rival is like finding a knife in your birthday cake. Almost makes you think. New team, new tasks, same mission. We're going to make making America great, great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. Via Presidentis. This week, masks are really optional.
1: Well, I mean, if we gave an IQ test to Mars, come on. Only Elon Musk thinks it might uh, be up there. Video conference darling of the hour, Zoom. Here's more about Zoom. Has tightened up support rules in order to, quote, better serve, unquote, users. This is from the British Tech Journal, The Register. We've shared with you reports on this program for quite a while now about the security lapses The holes, the lack of security by design in Zoom. But now word comes from a reader of the register who had a couple of support tickets abruptly closed without action, receiving only a terse statement from the company that some users would need to find their own solution with Zoom's online resources. While boasting that the Zoom Support Center has maintained 24-7 operations, the company said its new updated support guidelines... It said in those guidelines that given increased usage from businesses small and large and exponentially growing demand from the education and healthcare sectors, we've experienced an unexpected surge in support requests. Yeah, <laughs> who would have thunk it? The consequences the taps have been turned off for free accounts, understandably perhaps, but end users of any accounts, including the ones Zoom charges for, are also affected as the company deals with the, quote, unprecedented period, unquote. Only uh, a few short days ago, they had a decidedly different approach. The updated guidelines state only account owners and administrators may contact Zoom's help desk. The company instead offers unrestricted access to its online help for everybody else. That is to say, help that involves not speaking to a human. Those who try to flout the rules will see their tickets closed, and it appears those with tickets open before the cutoff are also seeing their pleas solved with a terse, quote, no support for you message in a direction to those online resources. The uh, reader in the example given above, Michael, had a longstanding ticket concerning app sharing, abruptly snuffed. Another regarding issues with recordings met a similar fate. The changes in support rules will last through May and June, while the company sta- company staffs up to deal with the onslaught of support requests for its according to the register, occasionally iffy software. By the end of this month, the company intends to move all customers to the f- 5.0 version of Zoom as it scrambles to deal with vulnerabilities in the platform. The register contacted Zoom for comment There was none. Not even on Zoom. Ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm. Most everyone knows humid heat is harder to handle than the dry kind. This is from fizz.org. Recently, not a, not a cola beverage. Recently, some scientists have projected that later in the century in parts of the tropics and subtropics, warming climate could cause combined heat and humidity to re- reach levels rarely, if ever, experienced before by humans. I know Elon Musk is excited. Such conditions would ravage economies and possibly even surpass the the physiological limits of human survival. Well, there is that. According to a new study, the projections are wrong. Such conditions are already appearing. The study identifies thousands of previously rare or unprecedented bouts of extreme heat and humidity in your Asia, your Africa, your Australia, your South America, and your North America for the latter, including the Gulf Coast. Along the Persian Gulf, researchers spotted more than a dozen recent brief outbreaks surpassing the theoretical human survivability limit. The survivability limit. The outbreaks have so far been confined to localized areas and lasted just hours, which is why they weren't showing up in the data, but they're increasing in frequency and intensity, according to the authors, whose study appeared in Science Advances. Then sits down and thinks about it. Previous studies projected this would happen several decades from now, but this shows it's happening right now, says the lead author. The times these events uh, uh, last will increase, and the areas they affect will grow in direct correlation with global warming. Using de- data from weather stations from 1979 to two years ago, the authors found extreme heat humidity com- combinations doubled over that period. Recent incidents appeared in much of India, Bangladesh, Pakistan, northwestern Australia, along the coasts of the Red Sea and Mexico's Gulf of California. The highest potentially fatal readings were spotted 14 times in the cities of Dharan, Saudi Arabia, Doha, Qatar, and Ras al Kalma, United Arab Emirates. Southeastern United States saw extreme conditions dozens of times, mainly. East Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, Panhandle. The worst spots, New Orleans and Biloxi, Mississippi. Such conditions also reached inland into Arkansas and along the southeastern coastal plain. News of the Warm, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast leading directly, with no conceptual connection to the Apologies of the Week. So sorry. Sorrow abounds this week in the wake of the COVID-19 thing. A UPS driver who was fired after raising complaints about safety concerns at a facility in Vermont where she worked is back on the job after agreeing to drop her whistleblower complaints. And she had to apologize. Marge Harvey did. I had to say it. She said of the apology, asked what she was told she had to apologize for. Harvey replied, for all the trouble I caused the company, she says, in coming back to her job for the company she worked for since 1987, she would not receive backpayer benefits for the period when she was fired. It's basically time served, she said. It comes down to keeping your retirement benefits. A UPS spokesperson, in response to a request for comment, wrote that he could say little about the decisions leading to Harvey's reinstatement through the company's employee dispute resolution process. She will retain her position as a union shop steward at the site and member of the safety committee at the facility. So she's cruising for another bruising. Saying that really was a mistake on my part, the mayor of Cheyenne, Wyoming, Marion Orr, apologized for a Facebook Live remark in which she said, Wyoming didn't need to be a safe haven for people from Colorado. She made the comment at the end of April, saying she was concerned about the, quote, crazy numbers of Colorado residents coming into Laramie to the fly fishing shop to get weekend passes to go fishing. At the time, Colorado was on, under a stay-at-home order, and uh, or the mayor, said, that doesn't mean that they should come here and partake in activities in Cheyenne and Laramie County and Albany County. I was called out on this, and I want to take a step back and apologize, said Orr. We have a huge commuter workforce, like 3,000 people that commute back and forth every day between Colorado and Wyoming, and so that relationship is very close. What we need to do is just be sensible and be cautious and really do what's right for our communities and for our workforce. And again, our shared open spaces.
0: Spaces? Spaces?
1: She added. New Dateline New York, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio apologized this week for a tweet last week that called out the Jewish community. For social distancing violations at a large funeral, he said the comment emanated from his concern for the community's welfare. I used words I wish I hadn't used. He said on a conference call with Orthodox Jewish media outlets. Mayor said he would like to apologize for that, but noted that he spoke out of a profound sense of the danger right before my eyes. A uh, Leviah was held in Williamsburg. Ask your mother. A large crowd gathered, many of whom were not wearing masks, and de Blasio himself joined police in dispersing the crowd. In a series of tweets thereafter, de Blasio lashed out at what he said was a dangerous violation of the guidelines. Quote, something absolutely unacceptable happened in Williamsburg tonight. My message to the Jewish community and all communities is this simple. The time for warnings has passed. Unquote. It was a funeral gathering. Elected officials and other leaders from around the country criticized the mayor's calling out the Jewish community by name mere months after a prolonged period of anti-Semitic attacks against Jews in the New York area and across the country. Deadline Atlanta-Augusta University Health System is apologizing after losing a small sample of COVID-19 tests in the last two weeks. Anybody could do Patient Bonnie Roberts contacted a local TV station after receiving a test from one of the testing sites. End of April, she started to feel sick, contacted... Uh, Augusta University set up a drive through test. Days passed. She checked the online portal, which would have shown her results ten days later. She contacted a receptionist who says, quote, I think yours may have been one of the ones that was lost, unquote. The associate vice president for communications at AU said by phone, lab capacity in Atlanta made it difficult to keep up with the 12,000 tests issued in the last two weeks. These labs are running at capacity they've never run at before, she said. As test results started getting delayed, tests were relocated from Atlanta Labs to AU's Augusta Lab. Relocating the samples caused over 4,000 tests to be delayed even f- further, and some tests were also lost. 30 of those samples got lost somewhere between the testing site and the processing at the lab. They are being contacted, told to get a re-swab. We want to apologize. For the convenience, the spokesperson for the university said over the phone. Deadline Johnson, Iowa, Governor Kim Reynolds apologized that the test Iowa masks mass testing effort, which caused taxpayers twenty six million to establish, has failed to deliver the three day results she had promised. I know waiting for test results is difficult. I'm sorry for any concern this may have caused you, she said during her daily briefing. The Indiana governor has apologized for posing for a photo with two people in which none of the three were wearing protective masks. Much like Vice President Mike Pence at the mask company this week. And his boss, the president, (laughs) at a uh, mask manufacturing lab facility as well. Photos circulating on social media shows Republican Governor Eric Holcomb of Indiana taking a selfie while inside a restaurant in a tourist town of Nashville, Indiana. We're the other Nashville. Even while a statewide stay-at-home order was still in effect. Nebraska officials are struggling to keep up with the flood of unemployment claims that have been filed since the pandemic began. The Labor Commissioner, John Albin, said the state has been adding workers and streamlining its processes, but still unacceptable delays. I apologize if anyone's been out there waiting a long time. Come on in. No, he didn't say. Ralph Supermarkets in Southern California said Monday will not provide coronavirus testing to all workers, contrary to a previous announcement. The union, representing most LA workers, called on chains to offer testing to all employees. Ralph's spokesman said he misspoke when they said they were going to do that and added, I apologize. Neil Ferguson led a team at Imperial College London that published a paper that helped persuade the U.K. and American governments to introduce lockdowns. This week he resigned as a formal advisor to the U.K. government after a British newspaper revealed he'd been breaching the lockdown rules in his private life, allowing his lover to visit him in his London home. He apologized for violating lockdown rules. The uh, Georgetown police chief... In Georgetown, South Carolina, we're the other Georgetown, apologized on his personal Facebook page after accidentally endorsing his pick for a political candidate on the official police department's page. You don't do that. And in uh, K pop apologies, Sue In Young shared several photos of herself on the street on Instagram. It seemed people uh, reading Instagram grammars were upset as she was in front of the school zone at an elementary school. her label also released the photos as a part of an official press release. many complained the actions were irresponsible as jaywalking is cited as the main cause of accidents in child protection zones. The singer's agency responded with an official apology we weren't aware that Sue and Young was wa- school- jaywalking through a school zone. We apologize that's what that's what an agent can do for you. The apologies a week ladies and gentlemen a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. Next week, another one. Same time, if you want it that way, on the radio. Or your time, when you want it on your audio device of choice. Tip the show, chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead, and to Thomas Walcher, WWNO for help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, and the playlist of the music, all at harryshearer.com. And I'm still on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. Yeah, me and and Judd, we both hang out there. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the home of the homeless.